0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. The year was 1952. There was a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick who tried to set the record for swimming from the Catalina shore to the California coast. This would be a 26 mile swim that she would attempt. As she set out, there were boats that traveled alongside of her to help assist her in case there was an emergency. Fifteen hours into this swim, she noticed a heavy fog that descended on the ocean. The fog was so uh, thick that she lost sight of the boats that were traveling alongside of her. After 15 hours, just under the 16-hour mark, she was exhausted, she was cold, and she couldn't see anything around her, so she gave in. The boats pulled her into their, uh, into their boats, and this, this is where she found out that she had swam over 25 miles She was less than a mile from reaching the shore. In an interview she did the next morning, this is what she had to say, and I quote, All I could see was the fog around me. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it, but I regret to say that I let my focus shift from where it should have been. I should have kept my focus on the goal instead of the fog around me, end of quote. Sometimes our Christian life can feel like Florence Chadwick's swim. We have a goal that we set out to accomplish, a goal to pursue, and the fog of life just seems to sometimes shift in around us, making things hard to see. And before we know it, we let our focus shift from the goal. We let our focus shift from what matters most to the fog around us. I was telling this to some friends of mine, and one of my friends, who is not a professing Christian, raised a very interesting question that maybe some of you have this morning. He said, Well, if Christians are saved, then what is the goal? If they already have Jesus in their life, then what is the goal? That's a good question that maybe some of you have. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 33, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says these words. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. He does not say, make the kingdom one of your hobbies. He does not say, make it a part of your to-do list. He does not say, just make it another New Year's resolution amongst all the others. What Jesus is saying here is that above everything in our life, above everything else, the kingdom comes first. What he's saying is the kingdom is the goal. The kingdom is the focus. And so church, as we begin to make our way into 2024, I want the word today to help us refocus on what matters the most, refocus on the kingdom. So this leads me to ask a very important question that I really want you to think about. And this question is, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? If you were to ask 10 different Christians this exact question, you may come out with 10 different answers. And some of them may be biblical-ish and others not so much. That's a word I just made up, biblical-ish. Feel free to share that with your friends. But the, the most predominant answer that you'll find when you ask this question is people would say the kingdom of God is heaven itself. They would immediately move towards pearly gates, streets of gold, angelic choirs and mansions in the sky, all of that. The next most common answer you'll find is people would say the kingdom of God is Jesus's church on earth at this point. And I will say that is a little more biblical. And what we'll find today as we study scripture is that there is absolutely an incorporation of the local church within the kingdom of God. But it stretches out so much more than just the local church. What I have found over the years is that people, Christians, are more comfortable talking about the church than they are talking about the kingdom. And I get that. That makes sense. Because the church seems tangible. The the church seems tangible. You can show up to a building. You can see the other people. You can be a part of the different ministries. There's some kind of perimeter that's there. And whether it's right or wrong, a lot of us can find some kind of identity within the church that we are a part of. We say we are the Wilmington Church of Christ. There's some kind of identity that we can find in that. Now, theologically, we understand the church is not the building. The church is the people. And if you were to ask, what is the basic definition of the church? I believe it would be summed up within this paragraph. The local church is a regular gathering of God's people who are pursuing to live in biblical community, pursuing the person and the mission of Christ Pursuing to submit to God and his word through the power of the Holy Spirit and pursuing to make disciples of all nations through repentance of sins and being raised to new life through baptism. That in and of itself is pretty much the basic definition of the church. And we use the word pursuing here because this Christian walk we are on, to be like Christ, it is a lifelong endeavor that we are constantly pursuing. Another definition we can use comes from the original Greek word, ekklesia, which means at its core, called out people sent on mission. So apply that to us, this means we are called out disciples sent on mission to make disciples. That in and of itself is the basic definition of the local church. Now, what I have discovered as I talk to other Christians is that often when we talk, we talk church Church, church. But friends, Jesus talked kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. In fact, did you know that Jesus only mentions the church three times in the Gospels? He talks about the kingdom 106 times. In fact, after he rose, he spent 40 days before he went to heaven, appearing to people and talking about the kingdom and acts Chapter one, verse three, he says this. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, before I go, if you remember anything I have told you, remember this, the kingdom of God. And so this morning, for just a few moments, I want to walk us through in rapid fashion, and it will be in rapid fashion, this idea of how Jesus builds the kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew alone. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, and just hang out there for a moment, we'll get there. And just know, as I walk us through this, there are going to be many references on the screen, and we are not going to have time to read every single one of them. So I encourage you to take note of them or feel free, you can take a picture of the screen and go back later and study for yourself what Jesus has to say about the kingdom and the gospel of Matthew alone, because it is truly amazing. But here is the idea of how Jesus builds the kingdom in the gospel of Matthew. The first words to the first message that Jesus preached can be found in the gospel of Matthew chapter four, verse 17, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You move down three verses later, it says he goes throughout all of Galilee, teaching and preaching in the synagogues the good news of the kingdom. You move a few verses later in the chapter 5, verse 3, he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he says, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A few verses later, he says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He mentions the kingdom twice in verse 19 and again in verse 20. Then he does it again in chapter 6, verse 10. Then in chapter 6, verse 33, he is speaking to the people who are worried about the things of life. And he says the same thing we already talked about earlier. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. In fact, the kingdom of God is so specific in the Sermon on the Mount. That is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The kingdom is so specific in the Sermon. That this has also been labeled as the constitution of the kingdom. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Moving on to chapter 7, verse 21, he talks about people who believe they're a part of the kingdom, but they're actually not. In chapter 8, verse 11, he talks about the diversity of the kingdom. In chapter 10, verse 7, he sends his disciples out to preach, and he tells them to go forth and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 13, he clarifies points of confusion that are connected to the kingdom. He gives us eight different parables to help explain the kingdom. So, just to make sure all of this is still connecting, we're going to lump this together now. And by the way, this isn't all Jesus has to say about the kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. This is just to get us started. So, here is basically what he's done. In the Gospel of Matthew, the first words to the first message he preached is on the kingdom. The ongoing message he took with him everywhere he went was the kingdom. The main focus of his premier message was on the kingdom. When people were concerned about the things of life, he said, seek the kingdom. He told his disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And then when people were confused about things of the kingdom, he gives them eight different parables to help explain the kingdom. And amongst those parables, he helps us understand the resonance of the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom, the operations of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, and the expansion of the kingdom. Now, if we were to just stop there, hopefully we all can agree that Jesus thinks the kingdom is important. And church, if the kingdom is this important to Jesus, it must be as important to us. So, today, as we begin to close the chapter on 2023 and we move into 2024, I pray that the Word of God can help us refocus on what the goal is. Because, church, it is not about our local church. It is not about the Wilmington Church of Christ. It is about the kingdom. Listen, if the focus is always on the kingdom, then that's always going to be what's best for the church. But if the focus is always on our local church, that is not what's always best for the kingdom. We have to be kingdom-focused. And so today, as we refocus on the kingdom, we are going to answer seven different questions about the kingdom that will help us understand the kingdom and why are we to be a part of the kingdom. Seven different questions. And so we're going to begin today by looking at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 through 17 for context. Then we're going to really focus in on what Jesus says in verse 17. So beginning in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, meaning John the Baptist, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Nephtali, That that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee and of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region, in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Father, make me a vessel that your Holy Spirit can speak through. And Father, I pray that your Spirit begins to stir in the life of every person here. That we may focus on what really matters the most. Focus on the kingdom. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Now, in verse t- uh, number 12, it tells us that John the Baptist has been taken into custody. Now, I think it's interesting for context to note that the Gospel of Matthew, chapter three, verse one, gives some interesting insight and an interesting connection into uh, John the Baptist and this idea of the kingdom. In John chapter three, verses one and two, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same message that Jesus preached is the exact same message that John the Baptist gave. And by the way, it's interesting to also note that John the Baptist is considered to be the very first prophet since the prophet Malachi. And there was quite the distance between the two. Because of corruption within the priesthood and the the issues related to temple worship and the indifference about the things of God, what we find in scripture is that God went off the air for 400 years. This is what is known as the intertestamental period. That is the period of time between the Old Testament and the New. God did not send a prophet. He did not send a message. He did not send a miracle that we find recorded in scripture for 400 years. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. He is the first prophet since Malachi. So we make our way into Matthew chapter 4. John is taken into custody. Jesus goes to Galilee and he fulfills what the prophet Isaiah was saying. He becomes a light to the people. And then he begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So with all this talk about the kingdom, today we are going to discuss seven questions that will help us understand a deeper idea of what the kingdom is and how we are to be a part of it. And I will say the first two of these questions are going to take the longest, but they set up the answers to the other five. So here is the first question. Where does the kingdom fit into the activity of God? Where does the kingdom fit into the activity of God? This idea of the kingdom is one that stretches throughout all of scripture. This is interesting. From an Old Testament perspective, people would view time as this linear progression Right, this timeline, on one side you have the present age, on the other side you have the age to come, and in the middle is the arrival of Messiah. According to the prophet Malachi, in Malachi chapter four, verse five, it says that Elijah would come first and he would announce the arrival of Messiah. From that perspective, Messiah would then come and announce that the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. So here are three initials I want us to think about. EMK. EMK, Elijah, Messiah, Kingdom. Elijah, Messiah, Kingdom. This is the progression that they were looking for. Elijah, Messiah, Kingdom. It starts with Elijah. To this day, the Jewish people, every year, they will celebrate what's called the Seder meal or the Seder feast. And during this feast, they would leave the front door of their home open for Elijah to come in. There would be an empty chair placed at the table reserved for Elijah. They would pour a cup of wine and leave it on the table. And this is known as the cup of Elijah. So according to Jewish people, from a Jewish perspective, they were looking for Elijah to come and Elijah's arrival would therefore usher in the messianic age, the Messiah and the kingdom would follow that. This is the progression they look for EMK, Elijah Messiah Kingdom. So then John the Baptist shows up on the scene and some people started taking note. They're saying, man, this guy sounds like one of the prophets of old. So they send some people to investigate John. And this is what happens in John chapter one. In John chapter one, if we can go to that next slide. It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He he answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. These guys are trying to figure out who is John. He's got to be some kind of prophet, but they're trying to figure out how does John fit in the timeline of God? What's the big picture? And John himself can't completely see the big picture. But I think it's interesting to note what Jesus has to say about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, he, meaning John, is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, hold on now. Now, we know the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. So how can John the Baptist be Elijah? How does that make sense? Did you know that the angel who appeared to Zechariah, which is John the Baptist's father, before he was even born, the angel appeared to Zechariah and gives us the answer in Luke chapter 1. Verse 13 says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. And he will go before the Lord, here we go, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. John is to be like Elijah. He will be characterized as having the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will be a prophet like Elijah. He will have a holy boldness to him like Elijah. So according to Jesus, The messianic timeline starts with John. E.M.K. happened. John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The Messiah came and the kingdom is now at hand. So this leads to our second question. What is the kingdom of God? If we're going to take it that the kingdom has come, then the next question is what actually came? What is the kingdom of God? I have a few different definitions I'm going to give you. And I believe it is through the collective group of these that we can begin to see how they help us understand the basic definition for the kingdom. Now, the kingdom in the original Greek meaning means ruler, realm, or reign. That, that makes sense, right? But the Oxford Dictionary years later expounded upon this idea when they talk about the kingdom of God. So our first definition is the kingdom of God is the spiritual reign or authority of God. The spiritual reign or authority of God, according to the Oxford Dictionary. The next one I'm going to give you comes from author and pastor Vance Pittman from Hope Church in Las Vegas. I love how he defines this. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with Him. The last definition we're going to look at comes from Dallas Willard, one of the great Christian thinkers. Dallas Willard says, The kingdom is is the range of God's effective will where what he wants done is done. I know that's a lot of information, and we're going to focus in on this, especially this phrase, effective will. Every one of us has a will, and we have an effective will. Your will might be to be a multimillionaire. Your effective will is you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow. Our effective will is where we can influence change. It's where we influence the outcome. So when it says the range of his effective will, listen, this means that we recognize that God is completely sovereign. He is all powerful. He exists under the auspices of his own authority. He is God and God alone. So when we talk about his effective will, how does that make sense? Listen. God has chosen to veil a part of his sovereignty in order to work through his creation. Let me say that again. God has chosen to freely veil a part of his sovereignty in order to work through his creation. He is no less powerful. He is no less sovereign. Yet at the same time, he is so convinced that he is able to accomplish his will and purposes, that he is willing to do it through a fallen creation such as us. So pretty much God doesn't need us, but he wants us. So let's begin to work this out. When it comes to reaching the nations with the gospel, God chooses to work through his people. When it comes to caring for the sick, serving the poor or discipling to save, God chooses to work through his people. God's effective will is the realm in which his will, in which his influence is expanded or extended by his people. It's the realm in which we extend or expand his influence. And now because God wants everyone to be in right relationship with him and to represent his effective will, it will include his activity not just through the local church, but also through missionaries around the world and through organizations and through seminaries and through church planting and through evangelism and through biblical counseling. It also incorporates what he does through Christians loving their neighbors, serving the poor, and being salt and light in this earth. All of this is a part of God extending his influence into the dark corners of the world. It is the range of his effective will. So here is the definition for the kingdom that I worked out with all of this in mind. Here it is. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world. It is God's effective will accomplishing his purposes. It is all of that he does through his people to bring the nations under his authority and to bring people into right relationship with himself. Now, I know that's a lot of information. And I told you the first were going to take the longest. So now we get to move on to question number three. Why did Jesus say the kingdom was at hand? This phrase has also been translated as the kingdom of heaven is near. Or the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Or the kingdom of heaven is now here. So why wouldn't his kingdom have been here prior to that? Well, the answer, because the king has now come. Every kingdom has a king. And when the king comes, it is now the kingdom is here. The kingdom is right in front of you. The Old Testament prophets spoke of this. They spoke of a coming king. The angels and the magi referred to Jesus as king. Paul tells Timothy that Jesus is to be blessed. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is at hand because the king is now here. Question number four. How do you enter the kingdom and who are the residents? Both Jesus and John the Baptist give us the answer in the message that they preached. Remember? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of humanity was created to be in relationship with God. And because of our sin, That relationship is separated. All of us have sinned and rebelled against God. Another way to put this is we are all guilty of high treason in the courts of heaven. Now repentance. Repentance is the act of recognizing our sin. It is the act of of expressing sorrow for our sin, and it is the act of churning from that sin by placing faith in Christ Jesus and being buried to our old ways and being buried in our sin and raised to new life in Christ. Just like we've seen happen earlier. When a person does this, when a person is buried in their sin and raised to new life in Christ, he gives them eternal life. I love how John 17, verse 3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, when a person is buried and raised to new life in Christ, when they have faith in Christ, they are now brought back into right relationship with the king. And as a result of this, they are now able to live under his authority within his kingdom. All right. Number five. What does it look like to live in the kingdom? What does it look like to live in the kingdom? This is the primary focus of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 record the Sermon on the Mount. Now, remember earlier, I said the Sermon on the Mount has also been referred to as the Constitution of the Kingdom. I I want you to think about it like this. The Constitution of the United States is the governing document that describes life and liberty within this land. Does that make sense? The Sermon on the Mount is the governing document that describes life and liberty within the kingdom. It is the constitution of the kingdom. And so if you want to know what it looks like to live within the kingdom, study the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we do not have time to study all of that this morning because that would take... Several weeks to go over. So I encourage you to study Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And just know as you do, it'll flip you upside down. I love to study the Sermon on the Mount because when I do, I recognize that God has a standard and I miss the mark. And I develop a deeper understanding and love for the grace of God that I cannot do this on my own. And I'm grateful that his mercies are new every morning. Study the Sermon on the Mount. Number six, how does the kingdom expand? This is very important, church. The kingdom expands as God's people extend his influence. Let me rephrase that. The kingdom expands as you and I extend his influence. Did you know there are people in our own city who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They are unreached. You do not have to go to a country on the other side of the world to find unreached people. They're within our own city. According to a recent study done by the Joshua Project, it says that 41, this is mind-blowing, 41.8% or 3.27 billion people in our world are considered unreached. This study was done in 2017. Of the 17,406 people groups in the world, 7,402 of those are considered unreached. What does that mean? That means that they do not have the gospel in their own language. This means that they do not know that Jesus Christ died to save them from their sins. There's no one there to tell them that. That means that there is not a church that we know of that is within those people groups. Did you hear that number? 3.27 billion people are unreached. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about that in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, "How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news." Here's a question for you. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, are you calling me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I remember when I was young, sitting in church, we would have these evangelists or preachers come in, and they would ask those questions. They would say, some people in here, God is calling you to the mission field, or God is calling you to be a preacher. Is God calling you this morning? And I would remember, there, remember just sitting there as a kid, I would have butterflies come up in my stomach, and I would pray my own prayer and say, oh God, please don't let that be me. <clears throat> See, even as a kid, my focus was not on the kingdom because I had a plan for my own life. And I, and I hate to say that I ran from my calling for far too long. But it is just like God to take something that I run from and turn it into something that I run towards. And I will be the first to tell you this morning, God will often disrupt your comfort to confront your calling. I believe with all of my heart that there are people in this room, maybe watching online. I believe with all my heart there are people sitting in this room that God is calling you to the mission field. In some way, shape, or form. It may be in another country or it may be across the street, but God is calling you. I believe with all of my heart that the next generation of pastors and leaders, some of them are in this room and some of them are down the hall in the youth group or in Kids City. God is already calling them. Is he calling you? But here is what I know without a shadow of a doubt, that every person in here who is in Christ, God has called you to be salt and light to your neighbor. He has called you to extend his influence to your coworkers, to your family. Maybe God placed you in the house you're in to witness to your neighbors did you know that when you text someone who doesn't know jesus when you text them a bible verse you're expanding a little bit of the kingdom in their direction when you text someone and say hey i'm praying for you what you are doing is you are letting them know that there is a sovereign god who sits on the throne and he somehow prompted you to pray for them you're expanding the kingdom church what if What if the success of our church is not based on how many people are in the seats, but it's based on how many people we send? Can you imagine what it would look like to wake up tomorrow morning and thousands of Christians woke up and prayed the prayer, God, how can I expand your kingdom today? God, how can I influence the world today? How can I, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to call? Who do you want me to message? Who do you want me to come in contact with today? What would our world look like? What would it look like? What would Wilmington, Ohio look like if every person in this room woke up with that prayer? We are called to expand the kingdom. We're going to end with this question right here. Does the kingdom ever end? In Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, it says that when the messiah comes his government and his kingdom will have no end the angel tells mary in luke chapter 1 verse 33 that she will have a son and he will reign over the house of david forever and ever and his kingdom will have no end church i want to end this morning by going back to what i said earlier it is not about our local church it is about the kingdom it is not about the Wilmington Church of Christ. It is about his kingdom. Now, I say that for this reason. If we only invest in our needs, if we only pour into our needs, if we only live as if the Wilmington Church of Christ is the end game, we have missed the greater picture the greater calling that God has given us in the gospel. I want, I want you to think about this. The local church, listen, listen. The local church is temporary. The kingdom is eternal. Let this marinate for a moment. Every church that the Apostle Paul established no longer exists. The church in Antioch, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, all of them no longer exist. The local church is temporary. The kingdom is eternal. And unless Jesus comes first, There may come a time, let's just say a hundred years from now, where the Wilmington Church of Christ will no longer exist. Now, why does that make a difference? It makes a difference because if we only focus on our needs, and if we only invest our resources into here, then eventually, someday, everything we have poured into will fade away. But if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness... What that means is that we are continually investing in the something that is going to outlast us. It's going to outlast this church. It's not about our church. It's about his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says, this is about the second coming of Christ. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom. I'm gonna ask that every head bowed and every eyes closed just for a moment, can we all bow our heads together? Because I'm gonna ask real quickly a few questions that I want you to answer just between yourself and God. These are some kingdom probing questions. First question, are you in the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? There may be some people in here this morning who's like, I don't know if I've taken that first step. Remember the first step, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Some of you might be in that place where you're saying, I'm not in, but I'd like to be in. If that's you this morning, find me after service, find Dale, find one of our elders or staff, or maybe the person sitting next to you, and say, Hey, I want to be in the kingdom. I want to have that conversation. The next question How does God want to use you to expand his kingdom? Is it possible that God is calling you to the mission field in some way, shape, or form? Is it possible that God is calling you to connect with your neighbors and extend the kingdom in their direction? Is it possible that God puts you in your family because you are the only kingdom influence? Is it possible? How does God want to use you to expand his kingdom? Third question. Where is God saying, if you'll give me this, I will use you more? Have you ever sat with God and he keeps bringing up stuff in your mind and you're like, I'm not sure I like where this is going. Did you know that there are certain things in life that are not biblically or morally wrong, but they can keep you from running the race effectively? For me, God, a great example is God convicted me about TV watching. Watching TV in and of itself is not morally wrong. Now, there's certain things you should not watch, of course, but it's not morally wrong. But there are certain things that if we let them become more important than the most important thing, it becomes that fog that surrounds us and distracts us from what matters the most. Final question. What if tomorrow you stepped into 2024, seeking the kingdom first in all that you do? How would that change the way you live your life? How would that change your family's life? We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.